everyone, welcome to another episode of Habits Matter, the podcast that's nearly as old as Harappa. For our sixth season, we've turned the spotlight on learning and development, diving deep into the challenges and triumphs of some of the country's most accomplished talent custodians across marquee industries. As always, we continue to explore the human side of how things really work at work. And we've got a roster full of engaging, bright guests. These are people who sifted the good habits from the bad and are now telling it like it is. I'm your host Shreya Sisek and I'm delighted to have Sumeda Bakshi who's currently leading talent management and organizational development at Amazon. In this candid chat, Sumeda talks about the cautious optimism she feels over DNI, awareness at workplace and her interesting three eyes approach to bring about meaningful change from individual to interpersonal to institutional. She also talks about how soft skills have turned into core skills in this ever-changing business landscape and why emotional intelligence is possibly the toughest skill to teach, learn, and practice. Get it for one of the more engaging conversations we've had on the podcast. I'm sure you'll find great insights and value from it. So without further ado, let's roll. Welcome to the podcast, Sumeda, and thank you for joining us and for taking the time. Thank you so much, Riyasi, for having me. I look forward to explore what is it that you're bringing to the listeners of this podcast. Great. And Sumeda, of course, you have an illustrious career at the forefront of L&D and, you know, people custodianship, really, as I call it, across some of the world's best companies. And we will dive into the strategies and the ideas and, uh, you know, the policies that you've come up with. But I always like to start with asking my guests, what's rocking their boat right now? What are you most passionate about these days? Something that's been picking your interest and you've been Peeling the onion on it. Shrasi, I think not only the last couple of months, uh, I think uh, when I talk about passion and I'll first talk about passion at work because we like spend such a lot of time doing our day jobs. I think uh, one thing that has constantly been a passion with me is diversity, inclusion and equity. That is a space, I think, that defines a lot of things for all of us in organizations in terms of what we do, how we do, how do we attract the right talent at the right place. Uh, That's one. And I think the second thing is managing change. That's a constant. Talk about, uh, you know, the way technology is disrupting. It's always been disrupting, but now we have Gen AI. You have Chad GPT. What does it mean for us? As professionals, what does it mean for us, for me personally, as an HR professional, how would that change the landscape of us doing business as one part? B, how would it change what roles would evolve in the near future? And how do I really work towards figuring out what's what do I need to do now so that I'm future ready? Because I think change management is a big piece per se because, hey, we know change is real, but no one's seen the future. And there are plenty of conversations in terms of this is how it will shape up. But then a part of it is just your gut. And part of it is data and the information that sits around you. So it's ambiguous. There's a lot of adventure, excitement. And I think that's what my mind is totally tuned on in these last couple of months. 
you know, we'll come to managing change um, next. But let me take up the diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. element that you said that you're really interested in. And, you know, I'll, I try and be provocative and push the envelope <laughs> and kind of break, you know, we were talking about this at a conference that, you know, go beyond the shallow and say the uncomfortable truths that we need to. And I think we're also similarly passionate about diversity and inclusion. But tell me in your sort mm-hmm. of, you know, Alice in Wonderland discovery of diversity and inclusion and going deeper into it the last few months. What is the one thing that you have learned that has surprised you? What is the one thing that gives you optimism that things can change? And what is the one thing that's making you angry and pissing you off that <laughs> actually nothing is going to change because I am there these days on that <laughs> on this topic. So that's a great one. You started with what is it that surprised me? I think this is something that surprises me again and again every year. And I'm going to be absolutely candid. You know, I'm not going to have any filters. It's how we talk about diversity, inclusion, equity, when there's a buzz around it. You know, the Pride Month, the Women's Day. It's just at the surface. And in those, in that time frame, you know, you it's everywhere. Everyone talks about it. Okay, so we just on the surface. It surprises me every year because all of us know that, hey, this is not a day thing or a, you know, week thing or a month thing. This is something that is much deeper. I think what's making me optimistic is that people are increasingly getting aware of this. And I know a part of the thing is awareness. I definitely see people being more aware. I see the youth being more aware. I see the kids being more aware. That's where I'm more optimistic about. And you know what? We move from diversity just being gender. We're talking about diversity of thought. I think that's what's making me optimistic that we're on the right track. We've stopped talking about how diverse we are and we're moving into are we inclusive? Because that's the real thing. It's easy to get numbers. It's easy to get uh, a boat like the Noah's Ark. You know, you have everyone all kinds of species are there. But is the boat really thriving? Is the boat happy, comfortable with each other? That's where the thought has moved. And that's what is making me optimistic. What angers me <laughs> is that we're not going to the road. And I'll, I'll just take, take an example. We talk about what are the policies? What is an institution doing to get it right? My question, it's not about that. It's very societal. It is much more deep-rooted and it's about the entire society embracing this thing. So what are we doing to address that part? It's also very cultural. So if I take India and if I just take gender per se, we have women thinning out as you move up the career level. That's because of the fact that once they get married, start a family, it's a different ball game. They are the primary caregivers at home, right? So for household chores, everything else. There's a World Economic Forum uh, report which says that uh, women in India spend about six hours in, you know, household chores, etc., etc. And men in India would contribute to maybe 30, 40 minutes, which is far lesser than what happens outside. So I'm, what I'm saying is that while we're talking about enabling women, you know, what are we doing about, we're talking about empowering women. What are we doing about enabling the society and the men to handle these empowered women? That what's, I mean, same goes for any anything about diversity. If you talk about people who are differently abled, again, it's the mindset shift that is much more deeper and has to be addressed at different levels. That's uh, what angers me. 
my state of mind these days is many of us need to be angrier about many things because there's a time to be nice <laughs> and then to change the world there's a time to be angry right like no revolutions happen without a little bit of anger then some uh, peace and gravitas but i've been reading a lot as well about the diversity piece and in the us for example and i think with given the kind of companies that you work for the global market companies what happens in the world's largest economy kind of influences what all of us also do here and pick up on in terms of trends and themes and research right in terms of employer branding and they're actually seeing after the black lives matter where diversity and inclusion and then kind of like amplified by everything that happened around covid um there was actually a great sort of you know focus on diversity and inclusion budgets there were many more chief diversity officers and over the last few months that momentum has slowed down and actually you know i was reading an article where they said how many chief diversity officers have either put in their papers or those roles have been made redundant and to the point that you and I'm kind of correlating to the point that you mentioned that something like this because it's societal and sociological it takes the time that it takes do you find that because anything any change that really takes a long time it's easy to feel in the short term and the mid term it's not working and that the challenge is that companies we're not staying the course because it's so challenging even to someone like me you should can you say that don't be angry seriously because what were you expecting to change you have to be patient and stay the course um right and because if you're not patient it's okay to kind of you know pull the budgets away like how do we do the short term mid term long term on this to see we're on the right track see uh, i agree it's 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 been 70 years and the dni budgets have only grown fatter right mm. and we have a whole lot of focus around it so we're walking the track but i think something needs to be fast forwarded you know we have to be more intentional about it and part of the thing is that many a times uh, it's all about aligning people who matter on the cause and again and again it's reiteration of this thing and like we all know change is never easy and it's not even a continuum you know it it goes back and forth and that's all that's what dni is all about but yes it is the the happy part is yes we've stayed the course but i think it's time to ask some tough questions and challenge the status quo that organizations worldwide are into to say is this really it and like i said this is just not to do with gender this is diversity uh this is how inclusive really are we really it's not easy because inclusion is a feeling right one particular situation could be i could feel included and you might not so it's a tough one to crack but as long as we are getting better walking the track and doing quick damage con- not damage controls doing quick i would say corrective measures we should be there is it one issue that really the people who matter is what she said that leaders haven't evolved to that level and is there still a sponsorship issue and a yeah. walking the talk at the very top isn't that the real issue yes i would say to a large extent for any cultural uh, nuanced intervention or cultural nuance change to happen it's a top down rather than a bottoms up thing you can have anything bottoms up it doesn't happen so you have to have a strong sponsor and the leadership walking the talk but you know i have a very uh, 
and this is all research and I totally believe in this. I also feel that it is about each one of us at the end of the day. You know, we talk about inclusion and I feel there are three eyes to it. You know, it actually starts with the individual, which is the first eye, right? Because if I as an individual, I am self-aware, you know, I will do the right thing in my interactions with others which will impact the second eye of inclusion, which is interpersonal. So the way I interact with people would be at a different level, right? It would be right. Now, the minute that interpersonal thing gets done right, any the institutional thing will fall in place because any policies, uh, processes that you establish, people will fall in line. So yes, the leaders have to model the behavior because it starts from there. But at the end of the day, organizations have to put the onus of driving this on each one of us to say, hey, inclusion is us. Inclusion is you. You got to do the right thing because you are the, you can only control your own behavior. Yeah. So that's my perspective. No, that's true. Individual, interpersonal and institutional. I agree with that. And I think I always keep saying that even when people talk about respect, right? I said, hey, we give respect to each other. But the fact is, you also must respect your manager. Most of all, all of us have to respect the institution that we do. And it is, it's not a linear top down and that there is. So I get that. The last thing on this issue Do you believe we are better served, especially as enterprises, we are better served when we have this conversation on inclusion and diversity as a social justice conversation? Or you think we're better off and more likely to succeed and be effective on this journey if if we have it as a talent development, talent attraction conversation? Because both are right, right? It's just that which one, which lens do you deal with? I think most organizations are at a talent development lens. See, it's it's easier. Social part is much deeper. Like you rightly said, these are interdependent. And unless you address the social aspect of it, you're not going to solve for the other one for a, you know, longish time. Uh, I mean, we all know what Sheryl Sandbox talks about and lean in and all of that. It's a societal level and a social justice standpoint that we need to get inclusion right, equity right. And I think the rest of it will fall into place. I think at an enterprise level, most of us uh, organizations uh, are very diverse, you know, just by the sheer organization, but just by the sheer size of operation, global operations, diversity is a default. But I think the larger part of the program, uh, the problem is how do we get people to get the lens of this is the right thing to do. And if I if we do the right thing, hey, you know, top talent is going to walk to us because guess what? We are the best place to work. We are very inclusive. We value people for who they are, what they bring to the table. And uh, yeah, that's my thought. Yeah, so definitely. Let's move to sort of your perspectives on talent, skills, learning programs. We're going to unpack some of what you said Mm -hmm. in managing change I've brought here because I'm guessing that's what uh, has happened. Of course, we all know the last four years have been like education for all of us in being able to manage teams, manage ourselves, manage teams, manage organizational needs. What has been the most challenging for you when it comes to managing people and then second, managing people's learning needs in the last four years specifically with all of the workplace dynamics being in the kind of churn that they have been? Let me first focus on the first one in terms of what has been the most uh, challenging thing in managing people per se. I would say the let's zoom back 
four years ago, we never knew that something like a COVID would happen. And, mm. you know, the world would just see a part of it, which no one could have imagined. I think COVID, and I was with another organization at that point in time, but got us into a very different mode, a mode where we, uh, where, you know, we had to help people first feel secure, psychological security was a big thing. I say, I think so the whole focus was uh, from a change management standpoint was how do we take care of our people? So wellness became a big, big topic. Like I don't think people have spoken of wellness ever before the way, you know, it just came to center uh, for, for most organizations, all organizations. So managing expectations around wellness is also not easy because it's the same thing. How do you define what is wellness and till what level can you do? How do you help people deal with mental challenges that they're facing at workplace, so on and so forth? From a learning needs standpoint, okay, the second thing I want to talk about before I go to learning needs is how do you manage, uh, how do you enable a workforce that is virtual to be connected, to feel uh, for to to have the same cultural nuances that a workforce which operated earlier on meeting each other would have. So building the human aspect in a virtual world and enabling people to come together and deliver to the goals. I think those were the top challenges that I saw as an HR professional. Coming to training, learning needs. You know, somehow, if you ask me, I think COVID made it easier. Mm. Yeah. Because I remember a time, and I'm talking in their context, my view for what I observed in other parts of the world would be a little different. But uh, typically in this part of the country, uh, learning meant a face-to-face -face kind of uh, intervention. But the minute COVID came, the relevance of learning through virtual learning really came to the centerfold. And I think that just helped people understand that uh, you don't really need a face-to-face -face session to learn and you can learn anytime. And people got focused on learning more than I saw them earlier on. But from what was the biggest challenge there, the changing skills needed as the time was moving on. I think that would be the biggest challenge that uh, I think uh, emerged. But there's always a solve for it when uh, if there's a new need or a new uh, opportunity that pops up, there are different ways of uh, addressing that as well. And I think the way that EdTech ecosystem has evolved was, was a big enabler for us to deal with any kind of learning needs, interventions and stuff. Have learning needs and the skills that were top priority, say, even two years back, have they substantially or significantly changed now? Because I actually feel like companies, like as the founder of Harappa, is we have a job and a company to build because our higher education system is not working, right? It's a market failure of the higher education system that has enabled companies like ours or created need for companies like ours to even exist. And in some fortunately unfortunate way, I feel like that's not going to get fixed in India anytime soon, certainly not my or your lifetime. So from a growth of Harappa perspective, I feel very excited that you know we have huge headroom for growth but you know more than anything else you know skill needs changing and things like that I actually feel like what we're struggling with in the Indian workforce is the foundational skills and that is COVID not COVID gen AI not gen AI 
they actually remain the same. Do skill needs really change? Yes, yes and no to that. So you're right. I think uh, when we talk skills, we talk about functional skills, domain expertise and the foundational skills. So domain expertise, yes, obviously evolving technology, you know, every six months, they, it could be something new that pops up. And that's the place that would continue to change, evolve. And some of the stuff that one learns becomes redundant. That's I think we all understand that. But to your point, I'm with you totally. In terms of uh, communication skills, collaboration, leadership, teamwork, I think resilience, let's just take that, you know, in, in leadership. I think those are the skills that have been there since eternity, are as relevant today and will continue to be relevant even as we move on. Because even if technology takes over and we have, you know, a, a, a workforce that has uh, robots and it has us, it has AI, still there are a lot of things that can only happen with the human intervention, uh, you know, something like creative thinking solutioning, influencing skills. I mean, all of those, I, I totally agree. I think they're more relevant. I think the only thing is there was a time when people used to call it soft skills, you know, like zillions of years ago. But now people have recognized that these are not really soft skills. These are core skills to enable a person to succeed at work. Yeah, I call them super skills. And I also say that they are hard actually the hard skills because I they're hard to learn hard to find right absolutely. and hard to teach others so they're actually the super and hard to get anything done if we don't have them listen you know we're all people with you know if we have people custodians and learning junkies and learning designers that you know as core parts of what we all do we are optimists by default we think of the growth mindset that skills can be taught and i do believe many skills can be taught but from some of these skills now having seen thousands and thousands of employees and you know such a you know your years of experience mm -hmm. do you feel some some of these skills are more innate than others and which of these skills do you find the toughest to teach others that's a good one I think, you know, this this is a big de debate and yes, uh, are we born with skills? Can we learn skills? So we all know the neuroplasticity of the brain concept, right? I think skills can be learned. I know some would be more difficult than the others because there's a natural part of you, right? The personality that you can't change, 70% of you is, is hardwired to be a certain way. But I think if a person has the intent and a very strong vision. What's in it for me if I get this, you know? And then this person makes conscious effort to learn. Obviously, there's an unlearning part of it. I'm not going there. I'm just saying conscious effort to learn. And that will only happen because if this, the, this person is intrinsically motivated, linking it to what's the gain for me. I think, yes, absolutely. Skills can be taught and uh, that's that's a whole idea, right? I, otherwise, I think uh, we would not need a Harappa. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But which of these skills? Which of these skills are you think the toughest to teach? Emotional intelligence. Uh, anything to do. See, behavior itself is pretty pretty difficult. But I would say comms skill is is easy. All right, you get it. Things where it is emotion you know because we are emotional beings we are first emotional beings and then we think from the heart it's like that in those skills your innate nature jumps in whenever there is a 
stress or too much of happiness. And typically, if you think about leadership roles, and I'm going there more, I think these things, these skills become difficult to be taught something like an influencing skills or emotional intelligence. At a higher level, if a person has not been exposed to it at a junior level, and hence, you know, we talk about uh, starting early, you know, having the right leadership DNA in an organization, start from your ICs, you know, figure out people who have an aspiration, groom them up, because it's all about rehydration of the same uh, behaviors that will finally get inculcated in an individual. So I, I think something, uh, skills which are less to do with behaviors are easy, you know, mm -hmm. creative thinking or uh, conflict management, you can learn, it's easier to do. But something that has more to do with emotions, influencing, those are the ones which are difficult to preach. And they are, they are increasingly important as you go up. Resilience. Tell me of a learning program that you have been sort of responsible for mm -hmm. or, you know, either designed or deployed or measured impact on that you, you have, uh, you know, you're proud of what it managed to do. And it could be from your current organization yeah. or it could be from somewhere else, you know, what for any of these kind of foundational skills. I think I go back to, it's it's not from my current organization. It's, uh, I'm going back to Aon Hewitt. And this was a time when Aon Hewitt had a demerger. And the part of Aon that I was, we, we were bought over by the investors. And as we were becoming the new organization, which was allied, I was made responsible to, to design the learning path. So I actually looked into... Uh, the onboarding mechanism, what would be our IC2 people managers program, what would be our, uh, you know, learning journey for seasoned managers and uh, the senior leadership. I'm going to come to the fact that why I feel that was, that's very close to my heart and I did a lot of exciting stuff over there is we were bootstrapped. We didn't have budget, you know, everything had to be done internally, right from content design to stuff. We didn't have uh, the right people, but I actually put together a team, a cross-functional team, picking up program manager from the business, just picking up whoever was there. Then the, then the thing was we needed sponsors. So business was the sponsors. We needed faculty. I had 147, a, a team of 147 leaders that we trained to deliver this program. And it was for the first time that we, actually, it was a great startup moment for me because I got to close the gaps which we'd heard you know all through uh, before this opportunity so we moved from a single intervention to a learning journey and I'm talking uh, 2017 so learning journeys were not like so common as they are today we gamified the dashboard we use this use technology we were getting a new LMS so right from content design to how do we measure this, who delivers it, and the fact that we wanted, it was a leadership development program, managerial capability development program, which had things like conflict management, delegation, blah, blah, all those, uh, you know, foundational skills. And the 12-month learning journey had, uh, you know, aspects of uh, checking their knowledge, skills, attitudes at different levels, and finally a graduation and finally, a uh, check on how these people are doing on the job three months down the line. In fact, the IC2 manager program was a prerequisite that we 
did for any promotions to a people manager that was like a like a guardrail and for business to sign off on it was not easy i think i'm very proud that this was one project where i worked with the business and it wasn't like it wasn't a smooth go there were obviously churns and reiterations but it was a great product at the end of the day it still stands to date the uh, it was and i think what i'm very it was it was like we didn't have traditional names like ic2 mb didn't call that it was called jumpstart so it was very funky very new bite sized learning the content created by us using canva and what not so i think that's what uh, i'm extremely proud of and how many learners went through it i moved out of aon in 2018 by the time we completed like one year journey and we had uh, our first cohorts uh, that were done and that's why i said there were a lot of learning that came through and i'm so happy when i look back and talk to people over there that it still stands there and you know yeah. it's, it's as robust as ever one last question on this section before we go to getting to know you sumedha a little bit better if there was one skill that you could ensure everybody in your current company mm-hmm. you could help improve their proficiency on <laughs> which would that skill be okay this is a good one i think learning to say no <laughs> really what <laughs> not not say no. learning to say i i would okay learning to say in deprioritizing the some of the stuff i think all of us have our plates overflowing and uh, i hear this all the time that how do we deprioritize so that we are able to uh, give attention and energies to the 20% that will give the impact that's the one thing that i think a core skill that each one of us i feel struggles with and even in the organization that's a thing yeah i think it's a combination of the pareto and the eisenhower matrix it is i think absolutely. actually the, those are the two like there's some things like the harper curriculum is very framework heavy and i think if you're a busy professional you don't need to understand the science of why a framework work sometimes it's just just start applying it and you see and i feel that four or five are like golden frameworks for the world and i think pareto and eisenhower for prioritization in combination Is right like magical. combo combo framework framework pack are magic i'm a big fan of pareto you know i feel it kind of fits in everywhere in life yeah and it really like for prioritization about the like really where yeah. you are and then the eisenhower combined with yeah. it we should do a session on that for your team <laughs> <laughs> we can do that coming to the personal and the last section um and this is a bit of lightning fire or a mm-hmm. quick 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 answers how do you learn best i think there is not one right way of learning shuasi and i totally believe in it but i think the biggest uh, thing is are you willing to learn do you want to learn are you ready to raise the bar uh, so a good habit of mine is i read and sleep that's there but like i said it's just not about reading i'm curious i'll ask questions and you can learn by that kid who's you know you're standing in the lift maybe this person is doing something exciting and i'll say hey what are you doing and why and that's a learning i think that's been a constant for me all through my life and at amazon it's one of our leadership principles learn and be curious so i think that just nails you're it you're in the right you're at the right place yeah. for me i have discovered over the last few four five years that podcast is the way that i learn the best um, okay so i'm one of those podcast a day people i i just feel like you know no i agree to, yeah if i you, don't if, if you were asking me uh, that way so i'll tell you when i drive to work or i drive for my workouts 
that's something that I do. It's the best, best, best way of your best way to utilize your time as you're uh, moving yeah. from place A to place B. So absolutely. What is the skill or know-how slash expertise that you have most recently learned? And this could be again over the last year, year and a half, a skill that you picked up. I don't think I was that, I've ever thought that I could write. You know, I, I think I can speak more than I, I like to speak more than I write. And I thought that uh, I'm not a good writer. Let me just put it that way. But here at Amazon, because one has to write so much, I think that's the skill that I've polished. What it has done to me, and, and I love it now, is that when you write a concept, you know, it gives you clarity of thought. So we don't do presentations. We don't do decks. A deck is a 50,000 view of, you know, you got to be very clear of what you're saying, every word, every nuance, the data. Um, and then then the, the whole process of doc writing, people giving you feedback, you refining it, and then it becoming a masterpiece. I think that's given me a lot of confidence that one day I can write a book now. Actually, writing is thinking. People don't get that. And yeah. I think we, you and I chat sometime. I used to be a writer in my earlier yeah. time. And yeah, I really feel it is a thinking instrument. Yeah. Uh, writing is Absolutely. just kind of the output. But what it does is thinking. Super. A skill that you wish you would learn. And you wanted to learn for years and years. But have not gotten around to it. This is an easy one. So I, I love music. I can neither sing not play music but I love music like really really love I can dance something that I've tried to learn has been music I don't think so I have that bone in me <laughs> I keep saying I'm an I'm a very bad singer but I'm a very enthusiastic singer which is the worst combination because bad but I enthusiastic I know I if know. you could start, last two last two or three of these this is too much fun if you could start a company what company would you start Currently on my mind, I told you I'm very passionate about DNI, and the cause of gender, I would say equality or whatever, is very close to my heart. So maybe I would love to do something around that piece. That's that's something that I really, really want to do. I haven't gotten my hands around it, but that's an area that interests me a lot. Great. And you said you learned by questioning, so I'm going to let you have the last word. You can ask me a question now, which is a trick I have picked up from one of my favorite <laughs> podcasts, Rethinking by Adam Grant, and he has started this. And now the, the question thing came up, I said, okay, let you ask me a question. <laughs> I'll ask two questions, and they are linked. One, what uh, was the uh, inspiration for you to start this organization? You know, I would love to hear that. And second, as you meet so many of us, different organizations who have different needs, what is uh, what is one thing that surprises you about the ask that comes to you from a development standpoint? The second one I have lots to say about. <laughs> the first is a long story. But the second, I think two two things that surprised me one which is surprised me positively and second which uh is something that one has to navigate through what has surprised me positively over the last three or four years is the quality of learning professionals i feel like in an enterprise setup i feel like learning and good people the pe people leaders are actually sort of you know there is a certain humanity and a certain intention and a certain sort of you know an evolved 
um, uh, voice speaking, which has been greater than I had imagined, honestly. Uh, uh, you know, so I think we've met. So I think that's a really good, surprising thing that they really do want to try and do um, uh, the right things and, you know, want to um, struggle with that. I think the second that's really surprising is the lack of influence that I feel that some of them have in being able to push good ideas through, um, which I feel like, hey, how can we help them? And actually, the third that irritates me, and again, I'll be honest, the third that irritates me, and I say this to some of our decision makers, that you want one of our programs to teach someone communication skills, which they haven't learned in 40 years, 18 years of formal education, and 12 years of being in your company, and your ROI for me, we think should become Obama's orator. That's not fair. That's not how learning works. And, you know, I, I do feel like that seems like an unfair ask uh, from a company. So that's the thing that on, on your on your tribe. Uh, one the thing, one thing that I wish we could help them on influencing and third unrealistic expectations from learning programs when knowing that the intrinsics have never been solved. Right. Correct. So I think that's what I think in terms of uh, Harappa, of course, to build something of significance and global quality that outlasts me uh, i think that the journey is seems like a very purposeful worthy journey worth all the big bats and the grunt and the grind i think it's not fair to expect uh, a complete transformation for individuals who've been a certain way for like we said you know behavior change doesn't happen overnight yeah. but i know i'm i'm on this side as well and i'm sure when you come to me i'll be hey shwasi so how do you ensure that we have ROI on this and this but but I, I agree to what you say. Thank you so much Peda it was a, such a fun conversation I kind of forgot that it's a weekday afternoon you know and I was in between two fires but uh, so glad to have taken the time and thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure totally Shriyasi and thank you so much for having me I totally enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you so much.